0: Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt Podcast. My name is Joshua Fredlin. Uh, joining me uh, most of most of the time, as always, is Craig Udally. Um
1: How's your week, back, Craig? It's been good. It's been busy. I was on vacation weeks. last week, so you know I missed I missed you guys. Uh, I was in Hilton Head with my family, but uh, back this week, and uh, excited to get back to it. How, how was your week, Josh?
0: Uh, I was sick, so I, I enjoyed taking last week off. Um, that definitely helped me. Um, I, as, if you can tell, I'm still kind of getting it. I'm still kind of getting over that, so that was, that's uh, that's still affecting me. But you know, it was otherwise it was a good week. Um, got got some, I guess we all got some good rugby news, and then um, just some great rugby happens. So um, let's yeah. just let's just jump right into it. You know, first game of the week last week, New England beating rugby ATL fifteen to ten. Um, this was more of a, a closer contested matchup than I thought it was going to be. You know, it, was, it was came down to the wire pretty much before New England finally put it away. So that was good to see from them. Um, you know, it, it kind of put ATL on the back foot when it comes to playoffs. But I, I thought this was their best match in a while out of them. What, what else did you see out of this one, Craig?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think – I feel like Atlanta were playing with an urgency that New England weren't playing with, and I guess for somewhat understandable reasons, given New England's pretty comfortable on top of the East. Rugby ATL is, I wouldn't say comfortable you know, in third place, but they're, they're probably going to make the playoffs, but they've fallen now from contending for first uh, to a point where they're chasing second in the last few weeks. So I, I feel like that they've been in a bit of a rut and they they had some urgency to win. They, oh, they played real intensity, real fire. Um and I think that kind of set New England flat you know kind of flattened New England energy wise for the first you know half of that game or maybe even the first sixty minutes of that game. Um, but at the end they just didn't you know just didn't have enough tools to to beat New England who are very solid defensively uh, and Land I think's attack is a little bit struggling right now. You know, it seems like it's a little bit out of sorts. Um, you know, they, they, it's been a while since they've been able to score effectively. I think they're still trying to work the wide channels too much without earning enough um, enough space inside to do that. And so they couldn't, yeah, energy or no energy, they could, eventually couldn't just poke enough points through to beat Atlanta. Uh, to beat uh, England, rather.
0: yeah. So that was um, no, it was definitely good. To, and I think – I don't know if it was New England coasting or if it was just Atlanta stepping out. But it was – you could definitely see New England is taking a step back after con- basically confirming their playoff spot. So we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend, and that's kind of why I was worried about ATL in our, in our um, pre-show little talk. So we'll see what happens. Um, next up, we had – the Toronto Arrows beating the Dallas jackals 57 to nothing. Um, I don't I don't know if this is the true Toronto squad because they were playing Dallas. I mean they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven guys score. You had Jack McRogers with a brace um, two tries and then he got awarded player of the week. so you know good for um, shout outs to him for that but I don't know how much we can take away from this match for Toronto.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, they're, they're on the outside looking in and they have a tough needle to threads to get back into the playoff picture in the East it's doable. Mathematically it's doable, uh, but point differential may come into play. So 57 point win is nice in the point differential. I mean, if I'm looking at their, their pointer right now, it's positive 35. So, uh, yeah. We had deduce mathematically here you know, they had a negative point differential prior to this game. Uh, so mm-hmm. in that sense, they did what they had to do to, to keep pace here, and Atlanta lost. So um, kept them alive. I think um, one more win for Rugby New York um, or one more loss for Toronto at any point of the season would lock Rugby New York into the playoff spot. Um, Rugby ATL has a little more threat there to Toronto, uh, and so their their loss this week also kept Toronto with a fighting chance uh, to get in. So, you know, it's tough to take much away from the game itself, but in terms of playoff outlook and, you know, placing the standings, this one as well for Toronto is really could have been hoped for.
0: Next up, probably the best game of the weekend if, if not one of the top three. Um, you had Houston. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. They're, I, They're not next on uh, on the website. It has a Nola Gold Old Glory next, but uh, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, you're, you're
0: right. I was looking. Whatever reason, America's Rugby News and Major League Rugby always flip a couple games around, and I think I don't know who how they do it in order, even if the games start at the same time. So I think that would yeah. be playing a factor. They but, started at yeah.
1: the same time, so I, I jumped the gun. But I, as I'm looking at, like, man, you thought Nola and Old Glory was the game of the week. Uh, right, <laughs> no, Houston, no, Utah. yeah, we'll,
0: we'll go with Houston, Utah. I th- I thought it was a pretty good game. You know, Houston um, confirmed like pulling uh, pulling it out, um, or excuse me, pulling away in the playoff standings for the moment. But and it, they had, they almost lost this one. Um, they I think they kind of let up off the gas a little bit, even though that's not what they're really known for. So it, and it almost cost them, you know, they got five tries and they only ended up, and they gave up four, but then they only ended up winning by four. So, you know, something, and I, they, they've switched tactics a lot because, you know, at the beginning of the season against LA, they were, you know, that, <coughs> excuse me, that defensive stand you up type of team, then they became that wide attack team, and now they've become almost a middle of the road type of team in between those two, where they'll try to get on the gas and then they'll try to hold you up, but it doesn't didn't really work against Utah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a weird one because <laughs> well, I, I had like you know I still, was, like, came out with. A great energy and intensity and urgency. I feel like neither side in this game had any urgency or intensity at the beginning. I mean, I feel like ta- yeah, there was like, like minimal commitment to tackles on either side. Uh, it was just kind of individual plays and would the tackler bring the guy down or would he run through the line and have a line break? Yeah, there wasn't much building going on that I could detect, at least not in the first half. And Utah were winning. I mean, they were getting the better of that sort of, like, slack, like, lackluster battle that was going on. I think in the second half, Houston did a little better job of organizing some kind of structured attack. They seemed to – yeah, they hit a lot of grubbers through the line. That seemed to kind of – Spark the idea that maybe they needed to do a team-oriented attack more than just, you know, throw it to somebody and see if Malin, Algeborg, or whoever could plow through the line. Um, Utah never got there. Uh, they still kind of were relying on individual plays. Had a lot of handling errors, too, um, on the Utah side that, that you know, tends to play them. I just like Utah, they busted out a crazy win a couple weeks ago uh, over Atlanta, uh, but, uh, you know, aside from that outlier, I feel like they're really just they are playing to me like a somewhat defeated team um, or like a team that expects to lose and is like a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of thing. So, you know, I, I think this turned out ultimately how, uh, you know, I think most people expected with a, a Houston win. Um, I think... If anyone should be disappointed, though, it's probably Houston, who uh, you know I think could have played better and needs to play better if they're going to ensure they make the playoffs and um, have a chance to win a playoff game. Really, uh, I mean they're they're in third place now. They have a pretty good lock on the third place spot just because they have one fewer game than both four and five below them, so they have a, a game in hand to play. Um, hmm. But I mean, it's, again, not mathematically certain. Uh, they got to actually win some games, and if they play the way they played this week, that's definitely not a certainty. All
0: right. Next up, we'll go to that NOLA DC game. Um, I, you know, this game didn't really. And mean I think just
1: went wrong. i super Brew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I did too. I think I took Old Glory. I think I had Old Glory winning by two. I
1: thought I had Old Glory winning the Nate Osborne revenge match, but. Uh, Revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, and Sh- Jambalaya and- is a dish best served hot and they had jambalaya <laughs> in New Orleans I, this
0: weekend. I will say this this is how much I didn't pay attention to this one, even though I did watch it. Um Harley Wheeler had a hat trick in this game. And I guess that I guess that shows you how much people were paying attention because you know I've that performance usually gets you a man-of-the-week performance, but the 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 man-of-the-week performance went to Jack McRogers from Toronto. So I I, I don't know what else you need to do outside of a hat trick, but, you know, good for Harley. Yeah, backs, you
1: know. (laughs) What do they really do? I
0: I think this – I think, you know, you mentioned uh, Nate Osborne revenge game. I almost wonder if this was the reverse. You know, this was Nola's revenge game against Nate Osborne.
1: But what do they, I mean, yeah, I see, I totally see why he said it, but like, what do they have to revenge on him? He led them to several successful seasons and they fired him without an obvious cause. Uh, At least that's how it seems on the outside. So, I mean, if anyone should be seeking revenge, you'd think it would be more Nate Osborne than the other way around, but you never know. And uh, if he was seeking it, he still didn't get it this time.
0: Yeah. I mean good for Nola putting up a fifty piece in the last home game of the year. So next up uh, Craig's favorite game of the week. We finally got to see or if I'm not mistaken, this was Naholo's first appearance of the year. Yep. So we finally got to see him. Um, you know, he was able I I thought he had a decent performance, even if he didn't get himself on the on the score sheet. You know, he, yep. he had impact plays. So that was that was great great to see.
1: Yeah, rugby New Jersey, New Zealand. So (laughs) Uh, so I was a little worried going to this one because I thought (laughs) Sam Windsor had played so well at fifteen, and we're bringing Andrew Coe. who's you know he's an international sevens player for Canada, so not like he's a a liability. But I, I was I was down on that chain. I thought Sam Windsor was really contributing. I mean, boy, was I wrong. Andrew Coe had a monster of a game. And I think I think you're seeing a New York team that's also a little bit it, transitioning how they attack. Um, they're, they're, right, At least the way they played this week, and I think it's partly based on the personnel, you know, because they had some new faces back there, but that back three of Fido, Naholo, and Coe was an absolute wrecking machine on, on attack. I mean, that's... Three really really dangerous ball carriers um, and like aerial game. I mean they they, had, they did everything you want out of a back three. I, I think at one point uh, Fido had a try of them all. I mean they, these guys were doing everything. Uh, so I think that was really good to see as a New York supporter. Um, for Seattle, you know it, it was a tough. Long. I mean I thought this was a really evenly played match. Frankly, overall, uh, I mean they, they both had s- similar approaches similar opportunities. Uh, I think you eked it out a little bit based on the play of those back three. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, it's obviously tougher set. They're, they're in the playoff race as well, and it's another loss for them. And they didn't even get the losing bonus point. Yeah, the margin bonus point. Uh, so, yeah, I know there was some controversy uh, over line painting and goalposts. Uh, for those who didn't <laughs> see it it was a one point game in the last few minutes and then uh there was a yellow card to Seattle uh so they were down a man in the scrum New york uh, had a scrum i think they were, I think this was already on a penalty but they re- they chose to scrum again and they uh they they actually drove the Seattle scrum back so that it knocked over the goalpost in the New york attacking try you know in goal uh and they were awarded a penalty try and that basically yeah, that made the margin eight points with a few minutes left, so basically put the game out of reach. Um, one, you know, you wouldn't expect goalposts to fall over so easily. Uh, two, yeah, there were there was other. Uh, yeah, I know Tony Riddell, um complained about the, the lines and the paint. Yeah, you know, the the colors of the lines being confusing. So there there was some controversy there, but uh, well, we all know it's tough to find places to play in New York. Um, Unfortunate, but that is this you know, that is the circumstance we live with today. Hopefully when we rugby becomes a monster popular uh sport here we we can change that. Uh but for for this week, I think New York will feel good about the win. Um and Seattle, you yeah, know, I'm sure is very frustrated with the loss. Um uh, see how close they could have come to winning. Uh and yeah, you know, we'll we'll see if they have enough in the tank to, to beat out Houston for that third playoff spot in the last, in the last couple weeks. All right. You know,
0: all right. as someone who's um, been to the Hoboken field, how, how do the lines look, at least in person? You know, because they come across, like, I think you know to pay attention to the yellow lines. At least they come across well on camera. How do they come across in person? You know, because we mentioned that a couple times. We saw that huge hit on Duncan Matthews Do the, the misunderstanding of the lines, but how do they come yeah. across in person?
1: Um, I mean, obviously I've never played on the field, but I've played on many fields in New York, and many of them have line situations similar to this. I think the truth is before the match, there's a clear ground. You know, Usually before every match, the referee comes and talks to every team and gives them important ground rules and – you know, preferences to to how rules are going to be called and this and that, and that sort of thing is typically covered there. And they make it very clear, at least intellectually very clear, what the the line is supposed to be. That said, when you're actually playing in the heat of the moment, it's hard to think back to that, right? I mean, you're kind of going on instinct and you see a line and it seems like it should be an out-of-bounds line, like a white line for touch. I mean, that's kind of a traditional color. And it's confusing that it's not. That there's a white line near there, but that's not the touch line. Um, so I get it. I, I get that it's confusing, and I I think as a fan, it's knowing that, that how the rules are set and knowing that it's explained clearly. It's easy to think it should be easy to follow, um, but I think the truth is when you're playing and you know all of your life, white has always been the color of an out of bounds line. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard to sure that you can overcome that instinctual reaction.
0: Fair enough. Uh, that was a 30-22 to 22 win for New York. I apologize for not saying that beforehand. Next up, the last game of the week, uh, one of the national broadcasts of the week, this one was on Fox Sports 1. You know, it ended up being a great game for rugby if, if for people who just turned it on, so that was good. Uh, um, San Diego pulled it out basically on the back of Joe Peterson. He had 21 yeah. points himself. Um, LA, you know, made the trek south. It was, a, it was just a great game of great game of rugby. Kind of wish I was there in person to watch that one, even if it was on top of the parking garage. Um, it was a battle of the twelves. I mean, they only Nanu got on the score sheet, but, but the back and forth between him and Billy Meeks was going on the whole game. We the Rugby Network even pointed it out on Twitter. So, what else did you see out of this one, Craig?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that, because I actually, like, my big takeaway of this game was it was a one-on-one battle between Meeks and Peterson. You know, it's just, I mean, no, you know, Ma Nonu came on, I think, towards the end, maybe the last quarter of the game, um, he started to have more of a presence. But I felt for the first three quarters of the match, it was, like, two one-on-one contests between Joe Peterson carrying the Legion and Billy Meeks carrying the Gil-teens. I I mean, I think it's a great one to have had on national TV because was exciting, a lot of scoring. Um, and again, like most people who are stumbling on this, don't have anything to compare it to. They don't know what's good or what's bad, really. I do not think they played the a good game. I, thought, I mean, they've had trouble at 10 at finding a scrum fly. Harrison Goddard has been playing there somewhat serviceably for the last few weeks. I thought he had a really, really tough day uh, at 10 today. I mean, he had kicks charged down. Um, I mean, he, he was, he was, he was missing tackles where people were running the 10 jumps, blasting him right out of the way. Um, I think, I feel like they need a different answer. Yeah. I think like this week he is not a serviceable 10. If this team wants to win at the, the best level of MLR, um, we never have bad days, but I mean, man, this was a tough day for them in my view. Uh, but yeah, and like you said, I think Nonu and Chris Robinshot to an extent too in the, in the last quarter of the game came on, I think provided some veteran support and kind of capitalized on the energy of a team that was in the midst of a unexpected upset. Uh, so, you know, good, good on them to see it through. I think Joe Peterson, for one reason or another, seemed to fade a little bit at the very end there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, big win for them, certainly to stay in the playoff. I mean, it was basically a, a must win for San Diego.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: LA's still looking pretty good. Um, but San Diego lives to fight another day with the gutsy performance by their longtime leader, Joe Peterson.
0: So, well, Rick asked this one. I think you kind of went over it. Was this loss a shocker for LA?
1: I think so. I mean, I, I think it's, well, I think it was a shocker. Because they, I don't think they just played so poorly. I mean, they didn't, other than Billy Meeks, who again was having like like a put the team on my back sort of day, they just didn't seem to have anything else going. Um, And I think it was really, it was dying in the halfback channels. Um, And, you know, the forwards also, frankly, on on neither side, I think the forwards were really, you know, having big contributions. It seemed to be, Get the ball to somebody who wants to make a play, and that was just going back and forth, like a ping pong ball, back and forth between Billy Meeks and then and Joe Peterson, and then eventually a couple other senior players got in on it.
0: So let's uh, we'll, let's talk about the playoffs just a little bit. Um, I think I think we can pretty much say Austin and LA are probably locked in in the West, and then New England and New York are locked in in the East.
1: Austin. As far as Austin. The- in. they they cannot miss the playoffs because yeah you know, San Diego is the number four team they're eleven points behind Austin with two games to play so yeah right. the most San you Diego know, possibly get is forty seven points in the end so they they cannot pass Austin yeah uh, all right so
0: we stay the less than for the third seed um theoretically the the Giltini's could still fall there but most likely it's going to be Houston just because they have the game in hand on San Diego and Seattle. So unless they fall apart, it's probably going to be Houston, but how do you see it working out?
1: Yeah. I mean, Zeus really has the edge here. Plus I think mean, their next match is old glory, which is a pretty winnable one. We know it's on the road. Um, and then they play, uh, Austin's so that's a, uh, that's a tough one for them. Uh, and who else we got here for Houston? Um sorry, they have 13 games, yeah. Who am I missing on the schedule? Old Glory, uh, Seattle, and Austin. So, you know, only one of those three are I obvi- you know, think an obvious favorite, a little bit of the obvious favorite. Um, so not certainly not perfect by all by any means. San Diego, on the other hand, has also Austin's so that's a tough one, and they have Nova. Uh, So that should be a pretty, you know, fairly easy. Again, uh, not fairly easy, but they should be clear favorite for that one. Um, So, you know, looks like Houston have the edge. Seattle is one point behind San Diego, also with 14 games played. Um, So they have the added challenge of not only do they have to catch Houston, they also have to surpass San Diego if they want to sneak into the playoffs. So um, increasingly difficult for them. That's why, I mean, if they had won, this week against New York, they'd be in third place right now, because uh, they with a bonus point win because they, uh, um, right? Cause they collected one bonus point, I believe, this week. Uh, so,
0: well, right, they be a
1: point behind. Yeah, they'd be a point behind third place if they had, if they had gotten a bonus point win against New York. So, um, frustrated for them for obvious reasons, but they have a, a bigger hill to climb. Utah and Dallas naturally are. Eliminated in the West. In the East, you New know, England is is also mathematically locked in. Um, yep. In fact, they're almost mathematically locked into at least second. They're not quite. Uh, so, rugby right now, New England first with fifty six. Rugby New York is the second with forty seven table points. This is and rugby ATL is in third with forty two table points. Fourth is Toronto with thirty five. So they're mathematically in the hunt. Nola and Old Glory are eliminated uh, with twenty five and sixteen respectively. So every team in the East has thirteen games, so there's no uh, there's no advantages there. Thirteen games played, uh, which means that essentially for Toronto to for New York to lock in a spot, they just need one more win, right? They they get four more points, they go up to fifty one. The highest Toronto, who's the current fourth place team, could possibly go is fifty. Um, so one one more win for New York in their last three games, they lock up a playoff spot. Um, Atlanta is a little tougher, so they're only seven points ahead of Toronto. So Atlanta essentially have to they have to have two wins and one bonus point to mathematically lock them into a playoff spot. Two two out of three wins, one of them being a bonus point win, or you know two out of three wins with. No bonus points, but a bonus point loss. You get the idea. They, that, they yeah. need that, that number of points to, to lock it in. They play Toronto. Um, so, I mean, for ter- in terms of Toronto's chances here, I think, you know, certainly the biggest game on the the docket for them is um, May 28th, when Toronto goes to Atlanta. And, you yeah, know, they'll have to win that one. Yeah. Um, But, hey, Toronto played in Atlanta all last year, so certainly they're familiar with uh, the the locale. Um, I think they lost both games last year in Atlanta, if I recall. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's hard to win three in a row, they always say. So maybe if Toronto wins that one, they'll have a fighting chance. That that still won't do it for them. They'll they'll need to still gain points elsewhere. But uh, that will certainly at least make it a race to the finish between those two teams.
0: Definitely. All right. Let's talk about the big news of the past week that um, everybody was talking about. At least, you know, some people thought it was good. Some people thought it was bad. I know there was a, a Rugby Pass article talking about how, yeah, how awarding. So big news, by the way, for those who didn't hear, the Rugby World Cup was awarded to the United States for 2031 for the men's and 2033 for the Women's World Cup. Uh, the Rugby Pass article I was talking about was written about how this was a bad thing and how New Zealand should have been awarded the World Cup, even though they've hosted over 20% of all of the World Cups ever held.
1: What, so who was, wrote that article and why? What was the argument for that?
0: Let me uh, – I'll look it up real quick. I'll
1: Was it like USA's undeserving or something like that? It
0: was – Pretty. It was pretty much more of a World Rugby is a cash grab organization now. So instead of,
1: but why is that? So they is it or they shouldn't be, or that the USA is not a good place to grab cash.
0: Uh, may take a minute to find it because it was written a couple days ago. But um, uh, also the other news. <laughs> also broken by rugby pass. Just happened to be that um, potentially uh, Warren Gatland is going to become the Eagles coach after twenty twenty yeah. after the twenty twenty three World Cup. So that was an interesting piece. Um, yeah, that would
1: be super exciting. Uh, Warren Gatlin is arguably the best coach going right now. Yeah, Lions coach for a few cycles now. Um, really successful Welsh coach. That would
0: and be a dream, true. And I, I, you know, I know a couple of people have been saying that or reading that he hasn't been good with the Chiefs. But it's it's just super rugby. like you're not. I mean, if people team.
1: aren't happy with Warren Gatlin as the USA coach. I mean, they really just do not want to be happy. I don't know who would you want as the coach then? Seriously, so like, yeah, Who is better option than Warren Gatlin? People are just ridiculous sometimes.
0: I, I think he's he's probably one of the best coaches at working with what is there instead of requiring a specific set of talent for his system to work. He's very good at working with the talent that is there.
1: I mean, he is one of the best coaches, full stop. He's been a Lions coach for several tours. I mean, you yeah. know, yeah. what, what do you want from the guy? Uh, and this is not like ancient history. These are the last few Lions tours he's been the coach. Um, I mean, I, I really just, I want to be, Receptive to and tolerant of all opinions, but man, do I find it hard to give a lot of daylight to the opinion that Warren Gatlin would not be a good signing for the USA coach.
0: Okay, so I found that other article I was mentioning, and the title of the article is Taking Rugby World Cups to America at the expense of Actual Rugby Nations is Harmful. Yeah, so it's like
1: that is not deserving i mean i, I guess like i I, get, I disagree maybe i'm biased because i'm in usa but i get that at least uh i mean i just i understand that sentiment if i was in a rugby nation i'd probably be a little resentful like hey who are these this country doesn't care about rugby why are they getting a world cup um so i, I can sympathize with that even though i disagree
0: yeah so i i think that the this article can basically summed up by this this one uh, couple or this couple of sentences it's um Take World Cups to America, China, Korea, Dubai, wherever you like. <clears throat> Just don't be surprised or offended when folk in rugby, actually in actual rugby nations, lose heart and interest. Basically, they're saying, I can kind of see their point. Whereas, like, if you keep going to these places that don't have huge interest in the sport, you're gonna lose out on the places that do have the interest. And I think. The attitude that they're not the attitude or the rotation that they're actually looking towards is they'll rotate through the rugby countries every other year and try to give you know one of the up and coming nations that can hold it that at that every other year spot is so
1: seems like that you know based on the Japan and you know the you know, cur- current schedule um but I guess they'd have France and then Australia and the US so I guess not exactly. But I, I do think that they seem to have some idea of that. Like, maybe it'll be a Northern Hemisphere nation, a Southern Hemisphere nation, and then a Tier Two nation, something like that, uh, in some kind of cycle. Yeah,
0: you know, that. I think that'd be good. But what what do you think this means just for the sport of rugby in America in general?
1: I think it means that they're going to get to shoot their shot at becoming an established thing here. you got nine years to solicit investment to build up interest to market you know pretty much could not have a better setup than this to try to make waves um if they can't do it then i think it'd be fair to say that until something changes like the team becomes better or something else that it's unlikely that we'd ever do it um yeah. so i think usa has been given the rope to either climb up on or hang themselves with, and I guess we'll find out which by 2031 or 2033 because they have the women's World Cup then too.
0: So I think if I think they're looking to expand, you know, 24 teams, so six six pools of four. I think you go two games a day. You probably spread them out. I don't know how you divide them, divide up all of the, the stadiums, but you know you probably because they they definitely have to move it because they couldn't hold it during. know the normal window september october just because of of the nfl um so they probably hold it what april may june ish you'd say
1: yeah i mean it's a good question obviously they don't necessarily have to move it but you would think commercially it would make sense to not try to compete with football for either space or attention uh so, yeah, I mean, the spring is obviously a contender, but that's really – that's does really far from the schedule. Uh, summer's probably too hot, though, so I think, you know, I think your best bet is sometime in the late spring, like you said.
0: Okay. Um, and then I guess how do, how do you think this affects MLR teams? You know, I think – I know some people – I saw a comment today on the ML Rugby subreddit about how this could potentially, you know, influence – big money people who want that that advertising into building their own teams so that they they have that, I guess, availability for whenever that comes around.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what form or probably multiple forms that this would take, but I think certainly the prospect of a World Cup coming to the country adds investment, you know, uh, Opportunity to the rugby landscape, and that includes MLR, because you know if you can get in and build a, a brand with some recognition in MLR, that can then be leveraged into the you know a, a run into the World Cup. You know, you can see that that being a low cost way to to work your way into a, a World Cup, whatever you want to do there. Uh, I also think knowing that the World Cup's coming here and that that means USA may be investing more of its own money into rugby um, it may mean that MLR is going to get more resources to do more development or whatever and that could be a catalyst for value growth as well which is a thing that attracts investors so I think it really set up every everything is pointing in the direction of this being the most financeable, from an investment perspective, as USA Rugby has probably ever been, at least at the 15th level, um, mm-hmm. and, and because they've given you so much time, and you have so much time to lock that stuff in and seek it out and build it up, um, that really, again, it's, it's not going to happen now, and I think we have to say it's probably never going to happen unless, independent of money or marketing or attention, USA just spawns a generation of world-class rugby players or something yeah. like that. Well, I,
0: I think, you know, we get, if with that investment, I think we, especially if programs like the American Raptors can pop up, you know, that have those, co- that have those coaches that can develop crossover athletes, um, especially ones who can pick it up quickly, I think we could maybe make a decent run, when it when it comes here, you know we got athletes right now like Caleb Geiger from New York who's come through the program, um, David Still with the Sevens program. There's and then like there's a couple other examples who play in MLR right now, but you know just if we can get that type of investment, you know across multiple programs, I think would definitely be a, a good thing. So
1: yeah, and like I said, it takes you know it takes time. That's why being ten years down the road is so good because. I mean, I, honestly, most people playing MLR today are going to be playing rugby in 10 years. I mean, that's that's just the reality. But if knowing that the World Cup is coming in 10 years means people will invest in academies or spend time, you know, putting these, you know devote some time towards the rugby as opposed to some other opportunities, then in 10 years you may have built a, a newer generation of rugby that has Better chance to compete because they are starting younger and their skills are more um, ingrained at that point than people who. I mean, I I think it's hard to imagine that somebody who first plays rugby as a crossover athlete is really going to be able to compete at the World Cup level, you know, with the best teams. I I mean, I think New Zealand, it's not that they're producing like uniquely unbelievable athletes, I mean, they are but every country probably has put together 15 unbelievable athletes. It's that in New Zealand those those athletes play rugby from childhood from being a baby and it's just really hard to compete with that no matter what training or athletic skill you have. Same goes in other sports. Other countries have difficulty competing with the USA in baseball or basketball because those are sports that kids play here and they don't play elsewhere. Until those things change, it's hard to compete And I think that's where the USA needs to get to if one day we're going to be competitive at the World cup level, we have to have a sizable portion of children starting young playing rugby and and coming up through a environment where they're playing rugby their whole lives.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. So I think we've covered enough of that topic. So let's move on to the picks because I think that's everyone's favorite topic. Um, So this week, um, I know Corey, our editor Corey's probably busy, so this probably won't come out in time for the first game. Uh, I don't want to push him. I know we've pushed him a lot this year, so don't worry about it, Corey. But (laughs) um, this is probably going to come out after the first game, so please tweet at us and tell us how wrong we were if we are wrong or how right we are if we were right.
1: Or watch us on live on YouTube or Facebook Live, wherever it is. You don't have to uh, wait till it comes out on podcast.
0: That is true, yeah. Please do watch us live as you, as Corey does not have the ability to cover our purpose takes live. Uh, but our first game of the week, we have New England going north of the border to visit Toronto on Thursday, May 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, NBC Sports Boston, and TSN in Canada. <sighs> I, I'm. I don't know. Is this the game where New England just decides to coast for the rest of the year, and then Toronto, yeah, you know, yeah, picks
1: and up? And Toronto is so desperate to win. It's a short turnaround. Um, man, it's hard to pick Toronto here. Um, oh man. Uh, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say Toronto by three.
0: I. You know, I I was hyping myself up before thinking, all right, I'll go New England by, you know, like 9 or 12. And then I immediately said, is this the week we're doing the coasts? Um, I think I'm going to stick with New England, but I think they do just coast a little bit. I'm going to go New England by 3 because I think you're right. I think Toronto starts pushing. They really want to get to the playoffs. They want, you know, I don't know if they – they wouldn't get a home game. But, you know, just to be able to say, hey – Look how far we've come in the the, year, the couple years we've been here. So,
1: yeah. I and mean, if they lose and Rugby ATL win this week, they're out. So,
0: yeah. Back to the uh,
1: ball. England has a comfortable lead in the front. They have a, a win streak that's obviously not going to last forever. They're going to lose at some point. Uh, I'm saying.
0: Hey, you never know. They could they could win out. Um, but I'm going to go with New England by three. All right. Next up, we have Houston visiting Old Old Glory early Saturday, um, 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff uh, on the Rugby Network, NBC Sports Washington, and tape Delane on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. Uh, Houston's still fighting, um, but we'll see how much they let off the gas, especially if they play down a level, as they have been shown that they do. So I'm going to go Houston by six.
1: Yeah, I like Houston this one. Um, Again, the team in a playoff hunt against a team that's long since eliminated. (sighs) Yeah, just don't – I don't feel like there's enough energy in DC for it to be a spoiler in this one. So I'll I'll say Houston by eight.
0: Next up, everyone's favorite, pick them by 30 to lose. We have the L.A. Guiltinis visiting the Dallas Jackals Saturday, May 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network, TXA21, and Bally Sports SoCal, L.A. by 30.
1: Uh, honestly, 30 not enough. It's not enough. I'm screwing that second screen of Super Bro. Um, I'm going to say L.A. by 55.
0: Oh, I always for the longest time I didn't realize it was the second screen of Superbrew. So I only yeah. thought you could pick up to thirty.
1: Yeah. It took me a while too. I shouldn't have said it now and my secrets out.
0: <laughs> so yeah, in case you didn't know, just gotta scroll, just gotta scroll. All right. Next up, San Diego Legion the San Diego Legion visiting Nola is on Saturday, May twenty first, also at eight PM Eastern. This is the national broadcast of the week, which will be on Fox Sports Two. San Diego's still technically in it. Um, they p- put on a big performance against the LA last week. Um, I'm going to go San Diego by 12. By how many? By 12.
1: By 12, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely think NOLA can win this one. Uh, I think San Diego is, I, I say it all the time, but they're, I think they're an aging team that relies heavily on a few individuals performance and those aren't young individuals. And this is late in the season. Um, I don't think they can pull it out the way they did this week, every week at this point. But again, I, I just feel teams fighting for their playoff lies versus teams that are out unless there's some like real rivalry there or some, some side story where you can see why the team would really want to get up to be a spoiler. Just tough for me to see. So I'm going to say San Diego by six
0: and then next up final game on Saturday this one at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network and KJZZ we have Austin visiting Utah Um, Austin may be taking a step back we figure they're pretty much in but this might also be a revenge game for them if I remember last year correctly it was one of the. were they in the playoffs or was this the game that kept them out when they went to Utah and lost
1: yeah, they missed the playoffs last year, so tough loss. So. Yeah, I think um, I don't Utah's going to muster much of an attack against Austin. I think Austin's defense is too good. Utah's too unreliable with ball in hand and inconsistent on in defense, so I think this would be a route. I'm going to say Austin by 12.
0: Okay. You know, I, I think around there, I think, you know, 12-14 will probably be a decent margin. Um, Austin as well for from, from my pick. Um, final game of the weekend, probably the best game of the weekend. So if you're going to watch a game, probably go out of your way to watch this one. Rugby ATL visiting Rugby New York um, Sunday, May 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Rugby Network and MSG. Rugby Atil is fighting for the playoff lives. Um, Rugby New York's fighting for that home home field in the first rounds. What I, I, this one's a coin flip in my eyes.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a close one. I mean, these two teams always play really tough. I think, I think that right now, Rugby Atil just seems a little more discombobulated. Um, with what they're trying to do on attack and until I see them having sorted that out I'm going to be leaning against them a little bit um, New York's obviously already um, played rugby ATL this year and the score New York won I believe the first match Right? I forgot what the score is now but uh They've played well in Atlanta, historically. Uh, I think they've actually played worse in New York against Atlanta. But that said, I, I think I'm going to give a slight edge to New York this time. I'm going to say New York by two. Um,
0: I'm going to go opposite. I'll take rugby ATL by two. I think I think New York is more comfortable with the spot they're in than rugby ATL is. I think ATL kind of wants it more at this point because they, they, they have Toronto breathing down their necks. You know, they have – that game coming up next week against them that could be determine their playoff date. So I think they're, they're going to want it just that little bit more. So.
1: All right. All right. Uh, this is this week, Josh. I like it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I know. I think, I think this is probably the first week that we've pretty much gone different on most of them. So um, any last minute thoughts from you, Craig, on anything, anything at all?
1: Couple of weeks of last and then another playoffs. We'll see. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the, the seeing how the playoffs shake out and see who our new champion is.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe a or, repeat
1: again. Yeah, could be the same. in L.A. Yeah,
0: could be could be the Guilty News again, lifting that shield. All right, folks. Thank you for listening, everyone. Whether you're listening live, whether you're watching live, whether you're listening on the podcast, we do really much. We do very much appreciate it so thank you again you can always find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Earful of Dirt you can find myself at Josh Fred on Twitter you can find Craig at MMFlyhalf on Twitter thank you for watching go watch some these. thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt visit our website at EarfulofDirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to EarfulofDirt at gmail.com